Elphes says, call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. The hungry consume his harvest, taking it from even among thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Then Job replied, If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass, or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt, or is there flavor in the sap of the mallow? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut off my life then I would still have this consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. This is the word of the God to people of God. Amen.
things that I've always loved about this church, and one of the things that I think makes you uh, different than any other place that I've ever been, is your, essentially your honesty and your integrity. And, and what I mean by that is, is that you've probably all been to churches or in communities that um, everybody comes in on Sunday morning and kind of pretends that nobody has problems, right? You, you, you go through the kind of perfunctory, good morning, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. And everybody goes back and suffers alone in silence. One of the things that you've experienced today, and I don't know that you um, can fully appreciate, when people feel liberated among you to come and pray and just say, would you pray for me and with me and by me? And so we come and we offer up our gifts, our hearts, and we, we make them open because we recognize, I'm going to go back a minute. I wanted to use this passage from Shakespeare. Each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strikes heaven on the face, and it resounds. It's this idea that we all at times in our lives go time, through times of pain and of suffering. It's, it's, it's an honesty, there's an integrity as we gather to recognize that maybe you're not going through a difficult time, but I guarantee you know somebody who is. Uh, and if you're not, there will come a time when you will. It's part of the human condition, it's part of who we are. Sometimes we love to live in denial, we, we like to pretend that it's not going to happen, but it's part of everybody goes through it. As a matter of fact, when they were playing the video, one of the things I was thinking, if I can get like the praise team sometime to do a Beatles song for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, okay. How many, you know, if you remember the old song, Eleanor Rigby, that song of loneliness, of isolation. And so we've been looking at a, a serious book, a book that doesn't get a lot of press, because it's sometimes difficult and it takes us to places we'd rather not go, we'd rather not think about. Um, but I think it's important because we recognize that we're serious people and God calls us to something greater than just showing up on Sunday morning. And so we've been looking at the book of Job. We've been asking that question, that wrestling with those deeper issues. And for today, we're going to continue. Um, but this is a serious book. This is not lighthearted stuff, but it is stuff that I'm hoping that you can use. It's stuff that will spark interest and, and invite you into a deeper place of knowing what God's heart is all about. The book of Job starts in a very strange way. There's this tension that begins, this conversation that begins between God and Satan. And Satan comes and tempts and comes and accuses God, and God says, have you seen my servant Job? Or if you will, have you seen my servants who say they love me, and, and they serve me, and he is a righteous man? And, God, and Satan says, well, of course they do. They're expecting something out of it at the end of all things. You bless him, and, and that's why he's doing it. He's not doing it because he cares for you, but because of what he gets from you. He's a hypocrite. He's doing it because of what he's getting. 
And God said, I can prove that love is real. And so Job goes through a time of trial and tribulation. There's stuff that's going on. And, and in that time of suffering that Job goes through, we all have that moment of question. We always say, God, why? Why me? Why now? Why us? What have I done to deserve this? And Job goes through this time of questioning, and we all go through that time of wrestling with that big question of why. And God never answers the question. God never says, hey, Job, let me explain it to you. Let me try and lay this out for you. Let me show you the plan. If anything, God says, trust me. Do you trust me that much? Do you trust me enough that when you're going through that dark place, when you're in the middle of the valley of the shadows, and you're not even sure that you can see the end of the tunnel, that you still trust enough to take one more step? Do you ever get to that point where your life is broken, it feels shattered, your dreams are gone, everything that you thought would happen has faded away? I, I got to tell you, a lady came into my office this morning before first service. She said, can you pray for my daughter? She was married 14 years, and her husband said, this will be the last week, he's moving out. She had no idea, doesn't know what she's going to do. Her dreams, her, her whole life has collapsed around her. Where do I go now? God, why me? Why has this happened? We, we've heard prayer requests. Somebody's got open heart surgery. Somebody's got cancer. Somebody's not sure what tomorrow will happen. It is a serious book for serious life. Why, God, do these things happen? Have you abandoned me? Have you turned your back on me? The book of Job says certainly that is not what God is doing, but we have to believe that God has never abandoned us. The book of Job invites us into that deeper story. Last week at the first service, we took another look at another important passage that Jesus talked about. Jesus talked about this parable of what you build your house on, and he tells the son of the painful truth about what we're doing. You see, sometimes people come to Christianity and they feel that it should always be uplifting, right? That, you know, now that you're a Christian and now that you've got God on your side, life is good and you can just pick up your feet and coast. Jesus said, that's not the way it really is, right? He said, let me tell you what it's like. He said, those that hear what I'm talking about understand what life is. They're like two different kinds of people. Some build their house on a solid rock and some build it on sand. Now, when the sun is shining... If you're here today and life is good, you cannot see what's below the surface. You don't know what you're building your foundation on. He said, but there will come a time that both houses, the, the winds will blow, the rain will fall, and the water will rise, and then they will be tested. And he said, the one that is built on sand, the one that's just kind of going with the flow, it will collapse. But not only will it collapse, it will collapse with a thunderous. And the question for all of us is that God is saying, when we are building our lives, when we come to realization of what life is really like, where are you building your life? It will come. Faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. We'll say all kinds of things, and sometimes we say, well, as long as I'm showing up on Sunday morning, I think God's on my side. How committed are you to a relationship how committed are you to one another when the chips are really down? Who walks in when the rest of the world is walking out? 
When your life feels it's been shattered and broken beyond repair, who are those people that you turn to in that moment of crisis? When you're asking why, God, does this happen? Jesus said even on the cross, not my will, but your will be done. Into your hands I commit my spirit. When all vestiges of benefit have been taken away, will you still be there? So we come to another point. There's a question of why did these things happen, but now the second question that often hits us is how? How do I get through this? How do I manage? How do I even survive a brokenness of that magnitude? When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I can, I can know the voice of the shepherd. I know the people that are around me. I have built a foundation that even though it's been tested, it has not collapsed. Again, Shakespeare once said, everyone can master grief, but he that has it. Sometimes we all need help, don't we? And you can't do that in, the minst- in an instant. Once you're in the midst of a trial and a tribulation of magnitude, You have to have that foundation or you don't. You can't start in the middle of a flood saying, I ought to work on my foundation a little bit. You can do it once it's collapsed, but not before. We have to recognize that we all need help. And so what's the solution? How do we get through those problems? How do we get through that? And the answer is simple and yet complex. We need comfort. We need people that will help mitigate the damage that is being done. I like to think of comfort as shock absorbers on your car. I know that sounds a little hokey, but it works for me. Imagine that your car has no shocks. Everything is bolted firmly to the seat. So as you're riding down the highway and you hit those inevitable potholes in the rough highway, you feel everything that is happening to those tires. Everything is bouncing. And inevitably, as you hit more more potholes and more bumps, it tears the car apart because there's nothing for it to give. The shocks allow the car to give a little without, not, without being destroyed. We all need people that can help us absorb without feeling the full weight of the damage, and yet not taking it away. One of the things that I've noticed most about good, well-meaning Christian people is oftentimes they'll want to take all of the pain away. I wish I could take that away from you. I, I wish I could take it so that your kids don't have to suffer. I wish I could take away that pain so that you don't have to experience that. And yet we can't. That's the reality of growing up. Jesus said even to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's part of that time of you are going to be tested, and that's how we grow. We've all experienced that as, chi- as, as we grow up as adults. We first start with our children, and they learn to sit up, and then they, they start to, to crawl, and eventually they, they become toddlers. You know what that phase is like. They're kind of not quite stable, and And yet we have to allow them to find their own legs in order for them to walk and eventually to run and ultimately to dance. We have to give them the freedom to find the pain in order to experience growth. 
you have to also experience the, that kind of pain in order for you to experience that depth of what faith is really all about. Now, how do we experience that kind of growth? The first thing is, is that it often comes with a crisis of belief, a belief that goes farther and deeper than what you're ever aware of. Oftentimes, it is for, for people that visit a church just out of nowhere, the number one reason that people find that they experience God's presence is through a crisis. It's that moment that awakens you to what's really going on. All of the other things that you thought were the most important or that would protect you or your security, when they have collapsed and you say, this is ultimately what my life is really all about. Christianity is not the opium of the masses. That was a quote that came from a philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, once said that Christianity is just opium for people. It, it, it placates them, it makes them feel good about themselves until helping them to deal with the ultimate reality of death. He said, no, Christianity is not the opium of the masses. It's smelling salts for the unconscious. It's saying, wake up. This is the way life really is. People are suffering and they're trying to come back to grips of what life is really all about. It's a crisis of faith. But sometimes we deal with it in a number of different ways. First of all, if you're a religious person, you're just kind of here showing up on Sunday morning, you're going through the motions, you say, well, the reason that people suffer is because they must have done something wrong. Maybe you didn't pray enough, you didn't give enough money, you didn't show up enough, maybe you played hooky on Sunday morning, something, and God is going to get you for that. Have you ever had somebody say, God is going to get you for that? Or have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, God disciplines those that he loves. So if you're going through a hard time, it's because God has effectively put you over his knee. Is that true? Well, the scriptures certainly don't bear that out. The scriptures don't prove that. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the end of Genesis, how many of you remember the story of Joseph and the multicolored coat? He is sold into slavery by his brothers. And while he is in Potiphar's house, he's accused of something he didn't do, so he's thrown in prison. When he's thrown in prison, he's forgotten. He eventually helps somebody else, a friend that he makes in prison, lets him out, and he forgets him. And so I imagine that Joseph is there for many years, and he's going, God, what have I done to deserve this? You have turned your back on me. You have forgotten me. And eventually, Joseph is let out of prison, and he, is, he rises up to be uh, a man of importance in Egypt, and eventually saves his own family. And at the end of the whole story, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Just because you're going through a suffering time does not mean God is not working in your life, that God has abandoned you. We have to recognize that sometimes it's not because you've done anything wrong, but because God is drawing you into a different place, a different understanding. Of course, the other side of that, there are cynics that say, well, if bad things are happening to good people, it's because God is powerless to change it. The book of Job tells us that that is not the case. God is not punishing you. God is not against you. But you are simply coming to a different realization of what your life is really all about. As a matter of fact, as we continue to grow, we experience comfort in different ways. What you experience in, the, in our scripture reading from Job chapter 5, Job gets three comforters that come to him. And each of the comforters have a different way of approaching suffering that you've already heard, I bet, in your own life. 
He has Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, each of them common. The problem with the book of Job is it's kind of a poetic book, and so it's difficult sometimes to understand how it's flowing, what the flow is. But each of them are trying to get Job to see that whenever you do good, you get good, and whenever you do bad, you get bad. It's a common philosophy that has no bearing in reality. But each of them struggle. And then in the second chapter, you see, you see Job's response to his comforters. And so we want to look at not only how we can get through our struggles, our doubts and fears, but how can you help somebody else that's already going through that time of difficulty? The first thing that we experience from uh, Eliphaz is what is commonly referred to as bad comforting. You see, Eliphaz can hardly deal with Job's troubles. Job is saying, I don't know what happened, I don't know what I did, I don't know why God is punishing me. And Eliphaz says, well, you have to have done something wrong, right? He said, because I have seen fools that rise up and they prosper for a while, but they always get cut down. Bad things always, God always punishes the evil people. And so, Job, you must have done something wrong, we just have to figure out what it is. And so he kind of boils it down to figure out what you did wrong, Job, that's all you have to do, figure out what is wrong with your life and set it right again. And Job is struggling to understand, I haven't done anything wrong. Maybe there's something more at play than a simple cause and effect relationship here. Maybe there's something deeper, something much more complex. And as a result, it ignores the spiritual complexities of life. We see this actually millennia later as Jesus is walking through Jerusalem in John chapter 9, his disciples look over and there's a blind man. And he said, now, hey, Jesus, so who do you think sinned, this man or his parents, that he's being punished like this? Cause and effect. Somebody must have done something wrong and God nailed him for it. That's a different way of seeing your relationship with God. And Jesus said, that's not it at all. You guys has got it completely wrong. See, you see his blindness, and you say, there's a punishment. Somebody, somebody got nailed for that. And Jesus said, he was born that he could glorify God. You are here today in order that your life can be a glorification of what God is in your life. So how do we get through that? How do we get that kind of comforting? How does Jesus tell us to model good comforting? We find that actually in John chapter 11. Jesus is traveling and his friend, Lazarus, has died. And he goes back and as he encounters the two sisters, Mary and Martha, Martha runs out to him when he's still some way away and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't die, but I know that whatever you do, we will see him again at the end of all things. And Jesus says to, says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe me? He's trying to create a new foundation for her. One of the things that happens when people suffer and go through difficult times, they lose their moorings. They lose their identity. Who am I now? What do I believe in? Everything that I thought has collapsed around me. And Jesus says, do you believe me? Reestablish that foundation. Help people with the truth. Do you believe in all that you confess? And the second thing is, is as he continues on, 
pretty soon Mary comes out of the house. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, almost exactly same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, where is the body? Now, Jesus knows what he's going to do, right? Jesus should be kind of going, hey, this is going to be great. Watch this. He's going to come out of the tomb. It'll be fabulous. What does he do instead? He weeps with her. He weeps with her. He enters into her emotional state. He enters into her grief. And so I encourage all of you, when you encounter somebody that's going through suffering, a deep, gut-wrenching, life-changing suffering, you have to balance it with emotional intensity, with the sharing of the tears, which often is pretty easy. But you also have to balance it with truth. What do you believe? Is this the resurrection that Jesus promised us about? We have to balance it with both truth and tears. I am the resurrection and the life. But ultimately, in the next chapter, as Jesus, as Job confronts his comforter, we have to recognize that it's not just bad comforting. Job has to do some self-comfort. We can't take away people's pain. We shouldn't take away people's pain. We can mitigate it, but they have to grow stronger by going through it. Job has to begin to process this new reality, this new relationship that is existing between he and God. The first thing that I recognize out of this passage is there's a deep, intense emotional realism. Oftentimes, we like to hide our emotions. We don't like to look too demonstrative one side or the other, that we're good Christians, we're under, our, under control. But Job is just saying, if all of my sorrows were weighed, it would be like the sand of the sea. I'm drinking in the arrows of the Almighty. Everything is painful. He's pouring out his heart. We see this in the Psalms. The psalmists have no problem just pouring out their grief and their anger and their resentment. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to let God know where your pain is and to pour that out in screams. God is big enough to handle all of your doubts and fears. But Job, despite all of his anger and his resentment, never loses touch with his prayer life, with his calling out to God. All of that Job talks about is a gift to God. God, hear my prayer. Oh, that God would even crush me. Job is inviting God to kill him, to end my life. God, I want you to end my life. I can't take this anymore. And he invites God into that grieving process that everything that he believed in has now collapsed around him but he never gives up and enters into even a self-destructive lifestyle. He never really takes it onto his own back. He, he says, God, I want you to crush me because then when you do that, if you do that, I have one consolation and that is I never gave up on your promises to me. I never gave up believing in those promises. If you take my life, I will never have, I will never have given up the promises that you have given to me. We can enter into that deep, gut-wrenching, dark night of the soul moment where we think everything is lost and we say, God, just end it right now. But I will never, ever give up on the promises that you made me. Because what Job needs more than anything is he needs that assurance that God hasn't given up on him. He's searching for that place to, to weigh his anchor, to put his anchor down and know that I can weather this storm. I love that 
quote that sometimes says that sometimes whenever we're in the storms of life, sometimes God calms the storms in our lives, and sometimes he lets the storms rage in order to calm the heart of his child. What God is doing is working on Job's heart, not for this life, but for the life that God has already prepared for him. And what we need whenever we're going through that dark time, that time of just horrible suffering, is we need the ultimate comfort. We need to know that in our darkest moments, in those moments of grief, when the loved one that is sitting next to you, the loved one that is surrounding you has gone. God, why has this happened to me? Why me? Have you given up on me? Have you turned your back on me? Do you no longer exist? We can hear Jesus' words. No one has greater love for you than this, that they lay down their life for their friend. They, whenever you come on a Sunday morning, it is constant reflection. God, no matter what I'm going through, your love will never fail. You are not failing me now. You have not turned your back away, but maybe, maybe you're asking me to walk a little bit taller, a little bit straighter. Maybe you're asking me to explore parts of life that I haven't been willing to explore before. Maybe I've put too much trust on my financial security. Maybe I've put too much trust in my health security. Maybe I've put too much trust in my social security. Maybe I haven't put enough trust in you. And when everything else is gone, you alone are God. That's why I've shared this the last couple of weeks. I am stronger because I had to be. I am smarter because of my mistakes. I am happier because of the sadness that I have known, and I am more loving because I have known loneliness. And I am wiser because I have trusted God. Whenever you go through suffering, whenever you need the comfort, whenever there are people around you that come up here that they're looking for comfort, we can rally around them because we can say, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. I've known sadness and loneliness. I've made mistakes. And I'm learning constantly at deeper and deeper levels to trust God with things I never thought I'd be able to trust before. God invites you through the book of Job to be a serious person about the faith that you've signed up for. Are you willing to go to that deep place and let God be God of all? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for those that are suffering, those that are here this morning and those that are far away. We pray for those that are broken and just feel that their lives are shattered beyond repair. Those that are asking, why? Why me? Why now? How will I survive? Father, grant them your light and your hope. May this church be a light on a hill that guides all people back to the hope that you have given to all of us. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Help us, Father. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.